You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. We have a very special and unique episode today, and the most unique aspect of it is that we have four guests joining us. It's actually the first time in any of our podcast episodes where we've had four guests. Another unique aspect is that our guests range in age from their mid-20s to somewhere, let's just say, north of the official senior citizen line. Sorry, John, had to do that. (laughs) So what could we possibly be talking about that requires that many guests? Well, the short version is this. We're going to be talking about university-based programs that are designed to introduce wildlife students to the hunting experience. They have adopted the name University First Hunt Programs. We're going to get into a discussion about what these programs are, why they are needed, how they've been received, and we'll even hear firsthand from a couple of the students that have participated in these programs. So on today's episode, we have both the instructors and the pupils that will be participating uh, with us, and that's why we need four guests. So let's welcome them in. And first, I'm going to go to John Eady, Dr. John Eady, Professor Dennis G. Raveling, Chair in Waterfowl Ecology, the Department of Wildlife, Fish, and Conservation Biology at the University of California, Davis, and a repeat guest on the show. John, welcome in. Thanks so much, Mike. It's uh, great to be a repeat offender. <laughs> uh, second is Dr. Kevin Ringelman, Associate Professor, School of Renewal. Renewable Natural Resources at Louisiana State University. Kevin, welcome in. Good to see you, Mike. And Maddie McFarlane, master's student at Mississippi State University. Maddie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. And last but not least, Julie Wynn, a biologist with Gulf Engineers and consultant and a graduate of Louisiana State University. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Okay, so now what we do is we give each of our guests an opportunity to provide a bit more detail about your background, what it is you do, and whatever kind of career path you might have taken. So, uh, so let's just start. Let's go in the same order that we did just a minute ago. John, I'll throw it to you. Tell us, tell our listeners, for those that might not have heard the previous episodes, what it is you do and where you are. Well, thanks, Mike. So I'm the north of 61 here. Um, I was actually <laughs> I was actually brought up even north of that. I, I'm from Canada. Uh, grew up in a dairy farm in British Columbia, you know, sort of hunting, fishing, that sort of background. Um, went to school in Canada and then uh, uh, came down to UC Davis in 1995, where I was uh, very honored to um, hold the Dennis Ravelin Nadal professorship at that time in waterfowl ecology management. So. I've been here for 25 years uh, teaching waterfowl and wetland ecology. Um, Kevin was actually one of my PhD students uh, a few years back um, and has uh, really sort of exemplifies the success of the program. So it's great. It's great to be here. It's great. To, it's great to be anywhere. I'd like to be anywhere right now. <laughs> we're, in co- we're in COVID right now. But but uh, thanks. Thanks again, Mike. And, and it's, it's uh, great to be back on your podcast. Thanks, John. And Kevin, let's go to you now. Sure, Mike. Um, so I grew up on um, the prairies of North Dakota. Both my mom and dad were avid uh, sportsmen, and my dad was also, as, as you know, the director of conservation planning for the Great Plains Office for Ducks Unlimited. So I grew up with both a hunting background and a science background, and ducks have sort of always been a part of my worldview. Um, I did my undergrad at Cornell University in New York, and then immediately started the PhD program at UC Davis uh, with Dr. Edie. Did a quick 10-month postdoc with Chris Williams at the University of Delaware, and then um, took this position at Louisiana State in 2015. We've been here ever since. Thank you, Kevin. Maddie, let's go to you now. Well, I was born and raised Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so in the city. Um, I did my undergrad as well at Louisiana State University, uh, actually under Dr. Kevin Rangelman, where I worked in his lab. Uh, after graduation, I had the great opportunity to work for Ducks Unlimited in the Great Lakes Atlantic region. And now I am back down south at Mississippi State University, getting my master's working on uh, a terracing project in South Louisiana that some of your listeners are probably familiar with uh, if they heard that podcast last year. Thanks, Maddie. Yeah, that was one of the very first podcast episodes that we produced, I think. That's a project that I've been fortunate enough to work with you on. And so I'm sure at some time in the future, we'll follow up with another episode to kind of fill in the gaps on what we've learned through that study. But uh, thanks for joining us today, Maddie. Thank you. And Julie, let's go to you now. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, I was born and raised in Louisiana as well, um, but without any kind of hunting or fishing background. I was just kind of that kid that was always outside and much to the horror of my parents bringing in every creature I could get my hands on and all that good stuff. Um, so I developed a love of nature and science in that way. And I started at Louisiana State University, um, graduated from the Renewable Natural Resources Program, um, got a great background and got to meet some really great people. And now I'm working at um, Gulf Engineers and Consultants as a biologist, where I'm kind of a Jack of all trades. Some days I'm in the field. Um, some days I'm in the office and working with government agencies and doing all sorts of fun stuff. And Julie, when did you graduate from LSU? In 2017. 2017. And Maddie, was that the same year that you graduated? 
Yes, Julie and I graduated together. That's how we met. So, so you actually uh, were in at LSU, same time Kevin was, and came through the program that we're going to be talking about uh, under under his direction, along with the other people assisting with this this program. And so, what we have today, in terms of the number of the the guests that we have, is one of the small examples that we've talked about on previous episodes of this this family tree uh, within the waterfowl management enterprise, where you know John uh, John's the old guy on the crowd. Uh, in, in the crowd. And of course, as he mentioned, as he mentioned, Kevin, we're going to pile on as much as we can, John. And of course, Kevin studied under you and now both Julie and Maddie. I'm trusting the editors to edit this judiciously. <laughs> I'm sure he will. Uh, and then of course, Maddie and Maddie and Julie uh, were instructed and taught at, at LSU under Kevin. So just a, a small example of this family tree that we've talked about. Uh, on occasion. So it's pretty cool to have all of you on this. Uh, so let's transition to a discussion for today. And I've kind of introduced it as these uh, university first hunt programs. And I've kind of referred to it in some of our emails as a, a new addition to the quote college curriculum. And I don't think it really qualifies exactly as a course. We'll get into that uh, later on. But uh, but nevertheless, it's a, it's a fascinating new development in universities, at least two that we're going to talk about. And I think we'll also hear about the expansion of this effort to, to other universities across uh, at least uh, universities in the U.S. I'm not sure in Canada um, or, in, or in Mexico at this phase, but I'm going to ask our guest about that. Uh, but the, the idea of this particular episode now was stimulated by a recent publication uh, by Kevin uh, and John and colleagues that, that described the program, introduced what they had done, why they had done it, and what the response of, of their administrators, their partners, uh, and, and then, of course, most importantly, the students uh, has been to this. And we thought it would be a great uh, topic to bring to the listeners to make people aware of these efforts. And so rather than me ramble on about what this program is and why it's important, I'm going to turn to our guests because they're the ones most knowledgeable of this. And Kevin, I'm going to start with you just to give you an, uh, an opportunity to introduce uh, how this how this came about? You were the lead author on this paper. Now I know John. You probably this program might have been uh, in existence at UC Davis prior to, to LSU. But and so we're gonna once Kevin once Kevin finishes, I'll give you an opportunity to kind of chime in with any of the early early thought process and motivation that might have occurred at UC Davis. So Kevin just introduced the University Hunt program and you know, what it is, and let's just start with uh, why it's important. Sure, Mike. So um, when I arrived at LSU, there was an existing hunt program. It started in 2008 um, under Dr. Frank Rower, uh, who I succeeded. He uh, is, of course, a giant in the waterfowl field and is now um, the president of, of Delta Waterfowl. So I stepped into his uh, professor role here at LSU, and this hunt program was in place already. Um, the genesis of this program came about because so many of our students who are in had never experienced hunting before. You know, they have a background similar to, to Julie's where they have a love of nature, kayaking, birding, hiking, whatever it is, but they don't have that, that consumptive hunting experience. And that's concerning to us for a number of reasons. Um, one is it's important if we are producing the next generation of waterfowl and, and wildlife scientists that they understand the worldviews and motivations of the hunter constituents that make up a large part of, of who they will serve as future professionals. Um, there's also uh, some concern that hunter numbers have been declining, right? And this is one avenue where we can introduce the next generation 
um, to see if they enjoy hunting. And maybe this is something that, that they would want to take up. But hunting intersects with a lot of millennial and Gen Z values of sustainable protein um, and ethical treatment of animals and, and things of that nature. So at LSU, we sort of have a two-pronged approach for um, educating our students about the values of hunter, introducing them to, uh, to the individuals themselves so they can see the passion and the habitat work that hunters do on the landscape um, and providing um, a mechanism for, for hunter recruitment. John, anything to add to that? Did the, was the UC Davis, pre, did it precede the work at LSU or did they come around about the same time? Oh, I, I think they're ha- actually all of our work. I got to give credit where it's due. Um, I think, at least for us, the genesis idea goes way back to uh, University of Wisconsin at Madison, where Scott Craven and Don Roosh had a camp like this. And I, I can't remember how long ago that was. Kevin might remember, but it certainly preceded any of our efforts. And they used to do it for a whole quarter, and they would have game cooking and decoy carving. They have some old time, you know, sort of uh, um, almost uh, market hunters come into the class. And, and then that ebbed away. Don Roosh uh, sadly passed uh, um, a number of years ago. So, so in our case, you know, I, that was that was sort of the genesis, the idea. And I've also got to give credit for the conservation leaders for tomorrow. So. They've actually, I think, taken Scott and Don's idea and have folded that out. But it's not for university programs. It's for professionals. But the idea is there. So it's been around for a while. For us, it was, again, it was, it was uh, Kevin said it correctly, is, is our concern as we were seeing students coming through in our wildlife major, even students in my waterfowl class. So that's a specialized class. It's not required as students that have an interest in waterfowl. Only something like 35% of them have ever hunted. I take a survey at the beginning of every class. So, and, and this wasn't, ours wasn't so much about um, hunter recruitment. I mean, that's important if they get, if they get, you know, interest in it, that's great. It really was a concern about we were producing the next generation of wildlife professionals who had no firsthand knowledge of a major constituency, a major source of support uh, for wetland and waterfowl conservation. And, and they were going to, you know, move on into positions of, of uh, you know, sort of policy decision making and so forth. So that was a real concern. Um, we just we really needed to make sure that I, I felt like we were providing inadequate education. It wasn't something that we could tackle directly in the classroom. So that's where we had to partner up. So um, for all the same reasons that Kevin mentioned, Our, ours isn't so much, you know, sort of a, an R3 recruitment effort. Great if it does that. It's it's an education effort. Kevin. Yeah. And I would, I'll just add that that. Um, you know, the hunter recruitment aspect is a sort of a secondary goal, but I liken it to a, a foreign diplomat, right? The, so a successful foreign diplomat um, needs to have an understanding of the language and the culture in which they are operating, right? And so that's what we're seeking to provide is an, ex- an exposure to the hunting culture so that our students can more successfully navigate as professionals. John, I have one question for you, and then Maddie and Julie, I want to come to you for your perspective on this program when you first learned about it. Uh, John, you mentioned that the, there was the percentage of students coming into your program that have hunted is somewhere in the neighborhood of 35%. Have you been tracking that for some period of time, and have you seen that percentage change? <laughs> you know what's interesting, Mike? So we, uh, we do the, the, uh, the hunt camp the first weekend in January, and my waterfowl class starts in January. And so typically, um, I don't know, maybe 10 or so students in that camp take my waterfowl class. They haven't taken it yet. And it's interesting, those that take the camp, and so they've actually hunted once, identify as hunters after that one camp. It's a shift. So, so since we started teaching the camp, all of a sudden that percentage went up. And I went, whoa, what's happening? And then I realized it was all the students that the weekend before had, had been on the oh, camp. I see. So that kind of, you know, that also speaks to, to uh, the introduction and the, the mind 
set and the change in perspectives uh, that the camp provides that students who were unfamiliar and would not have identified themselves as hunters beforehand did so afterwards and, and did so with, with a sense of accomplishment. So, um, so yeah, that has, I mean, that has changed, but, but by and large, I mean, I think if you just took a survey in California, it's a little bit different, I think, than Louisiana, Mississippi, but, uh, but the, the percentage of, of young people coming into the wildlife major who have backgrounds in hunting and fishing. And, and the question was, have you ever hunted or fished? Not do you regularly, have you ever? So 30, 35% or so had ever hunted, about 70% had ever fished. So it's a very change, you know, it's a very different changing constituency. And as educators, we need to be aware of that and to make up uh, some of that education. That's, that's for me, the important part of this, these camps. So Julie, you came to LSU and when you, when you got there, the program, this program already existed as Kevin had talked about. Is this one of the courses, one of the programs that is sort of like legendary among among the students. I think back to my time at, at Mississippi State <laughs> summer camp, uh, the the grueling six week period that we go through is called summer camp. Was the legendary aspect of, of that uh, that curriculum? Uh, was this did this kind of fall into that same category? Did you know about it early on when you enrolled in the program? And was it something that you look forward to? I wouldn't say that I knew about it right as I started the program, but as we went along, it kind of became a culmination of everything that we learned. And we kind of started to hear about it a little bit more as we progressed through our academic careers. Um, and so it was just so perfect how the the way the whole curriculum was set up, where we would learn about these things and slowly become more and more hands-on. And then at the end, it's just kind of this this beautiful end goal of everything coming together and actually participating in everything that we had learned about and seeing it firsthand. So I think that's really special. Now, is this a uh, required, uh, required part of the curriculum or is it uh, sort of an elective? It was optional. Um, with our wildlife um, techniques class, we were just given the option of whether or not we wanted, were interested in going on a hunt and I was definitely super interested. And so, Maddie, from your perspective, growing up in Louisiana, you and Julie both, I know, as you've indicated, you are around um, outdoor activities all your life. Uh, and remind me, had, had you hunted before, Maddie? No, Mike, I hadn't. Um, like Julie, I did not come from what some people would refer to as a traditional hunting background. Uh, my parents didn't hunt. I had some immediate family members who did, but I was never personally exposed to that. Um, so when I got to LSU, especially in the renewable natural resources program, a lot of my fellow students and constituents, they hunted, but no, I had never even picked up a gun by then. And so was this something that you got excited about and you knew right off the bat that once you, once you heard about it, that you wanted to do it? Yeah. Well, you know, if you had asked me freshman year, I probably would have been pretty hesitant about it, but when it came around, I was so excited. You know, like Julie said, it was a culmination of everything that we had learned, or at least it was an avenue, a route that we could take um, based on what we had learned in the classroom. And I definitely wanted to take that plunge. Was it a pretty easy sale to, I mean, just the idea that you would get an opportunity to hunt for some, maybe that's motivation enough to, uh, to participate in the program. But also, as Kevin and John have talked about, the importance to the profession, given the program that you were in, was that also readily apparent to you and why it was important to you, uh, to you to go through the, the program? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's also mentioned in the paper, um, in Dr. Edie and Dr. Ringelman's paper, how this better prepares us to 
understand the needs, the wants, the desires of a part of the people we will, or a group of constituents that we will be working for eventually. Um, And I do think that there is a different level of understanding um, from learning about something in the classroom, hearing about it from family and friends, and then experiencing it yourself. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina ProPlan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Yourself firsthand. Now, I want to ask a question to Kevin and John about uh, the, the demographics of the participants in this in these programs. Obviously, Maddie and Julie um, are, are both are both women here joining us. And so, Kevin, uh, I'll just start with you. Uh, I guess a couple of questions to this. What's the demographic breakdown of the participants in the program at LSU? And can people that already hunt that that already have hunting in their background participate in the program? Sure, Mike. So, um, as Julie mentioned, this uh, University First Hunt program is an add-on to an existing wildlife techniques course. Um, It's a senior sort of um, capstone-style course that every wildlife undergrad in our our program has to take. And so, the demographics of that class is probably 70% female, and that's uh, reflective of the larger sort of uh, wildlife program that, that we have in, in renewable natural resources. And so the demographics of those who hunt reflect that 70-30 um, gender split. And so the majority of students that we take hunting in any given year, we do close to 35 hunts a year, are women. Um, most of them are first-time hunters, but we also, we can't, we've chosen to not disallow someone from this experience just because they hunted once, you know, when they were 10 years old with an uncle or something, right? So, so it's important that, that everyone um, that we can accommodate have access to this experience because I think it's just really important for, for building that um, professional capacity to, to network with hunters. 
And John, what about UC Davis, the demographics of the participants there? And is that reflective of a uh, the demographics in the program sort of when I say program, talk the wildlife program at UC Davis. Well, I'm talking about the per- demographics of the participants in the first hunt program and then, you know, how that compares with demographics and trends uh, within your overall university program. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, certainly the same, same as at LSU. I think 70% of our majors are women. Um, there's not a lot of ethnic diversity, unfortunately, particularly in California. So that's something we, I think, as a profession really need to work on. But, but about 70% of our undergraduates are women, and that probably reflects the same proportion in the camp. Um, unlike LSU, we do restrict our camp to people who have never hunted before. That's actually a requirement. The reason being is, again, this is um, students that have hunted before have at least had some exposure to it. There's so many students who've had no exposure to the whole process, so we wanted to open the door to them. Um, we get two or three times as many applicants. We can take 15 students per year on our hunt. Uh, we get 45 initially was as many as 75 and we really had to curtail that um, we have all of our students write an essay uh, beforehand stating why they want to take this camp and how it will help them professionally so they have to sell us on on what they're going to get out of the class um, and it also says that there's a little bit of buy-in and motivation it's not it's not just like yeah hey, sounds like a fun weekend i'm down we also didn't want all of our hardcore hunters going oh i'd love to go up to birdhaven ranch for a hunt it's a it's a fantastic duck club so we, unlike LSU, and, and I get Kevin's point, we did restrict it to to uh, folks that had never hunted before with the express purpose of giving them the opportunity, as Judy, Julie and Maddie mentioned, to actually experience it. You you just cannot learn from, you know, sitting in the classroom. You've got to experience it. Kevin, do you require uh, any type of uh pre-participation, pre-program uh, essay, and then uh, something, a reflection similar to that once the program has been completed? Um, we haven't. Um, I, I think that, that the model that, that John's talking about is, is a good one um, because it makes students sort of reflect on what they're going to get out of the experience. And then the, um, the post-hunt reflection is important too. Mike, I will say if I can, I mean, one of the things, and particularly because our, our camp is sponsored by a private individual, um, Paul Bonderson, Paul and Sandy Bonderson, um, and they really enjoy reading the post-camp essays. And in terms of a transformational experience, it's the before and after comparison that I think is really interesting and really informative. So, I mean, it's not just a matter of, of sort of an entry essay that they have to write. It's also about uh, capturing some of that personal growth from the student's perspective. And it's really fun to read those essays and see you know, what the students felt and said beforehand, and then what they felt and experienced afterwards. Uh, it's quite profound. And, and, and Paul and Sandy just love it. I don't, I don't mean to be saying it's necessary. I'm just saying that, that the, the entry essays and then the after camp reflections have really been an, um, a, a bonus. It's just, it's been really fun to read those and, and really quite informative. And I will say that we have our students, you know, write thank you notes to, to the, the our private individuals that, that host us at their duck clubs. And John, is it fair to say that at least my perspective is that the students, by the time they hit senior year in our program, um, are very much of, they've gotten a background in hunting as being critical to the wildlife management enterprise. We have a very sort of standard North American model value of hunters throughout the course of the program. And so they've sort of, they've reached a similar place in their, in their motivations, I think, more similar than I think UC Davis students. Like we don't have any vehement anti-hunters in our program, typically, where I know that, that you're dealing with a slightly different demographic. 
Yeah, no, I, that's absolutely true, Kevin. Um, you know, I don't know that we have sort of the antis, but there are some that are, you know, and even students that we accept into the camp intentionally say, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about this. So, uh, you know, we don't want to bring people in who are going to, you know, sort of lay across the blind and you know, sort of make make a personal statement. I mean, there's places for that. That's fine. I respect that. But um, uh, but that's not the intent of this camp. And and. Uh, you know, I, I, I think our students actually get it. They get it in all the courses about the intellectual importance of hunting. And, and I used to think that might be enough. And I realized when we first started doing this camp that it's not. The actual hands-on experience, the actual making the decision to take an animal's life is hugely profound and hugely transformational for a student. It's a fork in the road. And, and that's really when learning is hard, you know, is when in those, those challenges about really pushing yourself to a limit and making it a fundamental decision. And for us, that's when the students really get what conservation is about. They buy into it. So that experiential component, we can, I can talk to them, I'm blue in the face in the lecture and they get the background. They know the importance, you know, support wise, et cetera. But until they actually do it, and I didn't realize how impactful that experience would be. It, it still blows me away every single time. You know, the person, the people that have come out of the camp have just have, have just said it's, it's just been a, you know, a hugely rewarding experience. Uh, and this is, you know, since 2008. So, John, I've heard you talk about some of these experiences. You've kind of recounted some of what you've heard from some of the students, generally speaking, and their, their reaction, their, the, the transformational, transformational nature of those experiences. And, and I remember hearing you talk about it, you know, the, the hair on the back of my neck just kind of stands up sometimes just <laughs> because it is just so, uh, it, it's such an emotional connection to the resource when you actually kind of think yeah. about it that way mm -hmm. and you do this. And that's why I'm really excited once we get a little bit later on in this episode or maybe the next one to hear from Julie and Maddie on their specific experience in this in this regard and, and what this the, kind of the, the range of emotions that they went through as well. I think that's, uh, as you've said, John, one of the most fascinating and important aspects of this entire of this entire effort. Now, I want to go to Kevin and ask about some of the mechanics of how this works. And when you're you're talking about something associated loosely or officially even um, with uh, with a university and, and involving hunting, it probably raises all sorts of questions and logistical challenges. So, Kevin, talk talk about just some of the, the mechanics of how this works. What do the students have to go through in terms of hunter safety, uh, gun training, uh, shooting training, all those types of things? And, and how long is this course, uh, how long does the program take from start to finish? So at LSU, um, our administration has been pretty positive um, on this being an aspect of the wildlife management uh, techniques course. And so we treat the actual hunt experience and the associated trainings and shootings and things like that um, as a field trip. Um, and so in the eyes of our administration, it's no different than the forestry students going out in the field with chainsaws or drip torches. It's dangerous um, and appropriate safety precautions should be taken. Um, but so that's, that's how they view it in, in their minds. Um, in terms of the actual mechanics, uh, we teach hunter safety in-house here at LSU, so I'm a certified hunting education instructor, as are some of my colleagues. And so for a few evenings in mid-September, we will convene the students um, after hours in one of the lecture halls um, and go through the standard hunter safety. Um, we then, they do their, you have to, you have to shoot a shotgun um, in order to complete your hunter safety training and receive your certificate. So we do that um, 
at one of the local ranges here in Baton Rouge. And then as of last year, we're starting to take our students on a full sporting clays course uh, that's sponsored by Delta Waterfowl. So they get a lot of experience handling a gun, using it safely, um, and just becoming more comfortable. Because one of the experiences that both John and I have noticed is that our students are, are timid around firearms if they haven't held them before. And so just things that, that longtime hunters take for granted, how to safely load a shell the correct direction, um, muzzle control, right? All of these mm -hmm. things that, that are, are second nature to a lot of longtime hunters need to be reinforced for hours um, in new shooters. And so in order for us to feel safe taking them into the field. Um, we have, we split our students among uh, four or five different different camps, um, hunting both waterfowl and deer. And so there's some sort of quasi lottery system uh, for who gets to go on what hunts. Uh, but most of our hunts are early September teal season. So the last uh, couple weeks in September. And on the given weekend of the hunt, um, I or one of my colleagues will chaperone a group of a half dozen students out to a private duck club. Um, they'll stay overnight. Uh, oftentimes, they'll be a little more spring play shooting. And then on, on either the Saturday or the Sunday, um, we'll go out with guides that are provided by the private duck clubs and hopefully shoot some teal. Um, they come back from the blinds, uh, and then we pool all of the birds for scientific dissections in labs next week. And then we save the meat for a, a communal cookout at the end of the year. Kevin, I have to question some of your thinking on on introducing <laughs> new hunters to to this experience in September in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> that that's <laughs> I mean, it's still like ninety five degrees <laughs> that time of yeah. year. Yeah, uh, it's 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 hot and there are a lot of mosquitoes, but um, all of our students are pretty used to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, John, anything to add to that? Obviously, California is different from Louisiana in, in terms of, well, a number of things, but any, I, actually, I know there is a slightly different association uh, in, in, Louis, in California. So talk about the differences there. Yeah. So, I mean, we couldn't do it through the university. When, when we started thinking about our camp, uh, when I got here back in 1995, we realized, you know, California, especially, um, you know, concerns about guns and everything else. There's no way we could do this through through the campus. And I explored that a little bit and they said, no, you know, guns on campus or students handling guns. That's just not going to happen. Um, in spite of this being, you know, sort of an ag school and a land grant university. Um, so I sort of, you know, I was I was sort of pondering that and thinking about the, the Scott Craven Don Rouge camp and um, was talking with Paul Bonderson about it and saying, boy, I'd love to do something like that. But I don't think we could pull it off in California. And and. Uh, I, this was also with Bob McClanders, who at the time was the president of the California Waterfowl Association. And they said, well, we run youth camps all the time. We'll do that. So this, our camp is not actually UC Davis camp. UC Davis gets a lot of credit, but, but it really is for our students. It's not, a, it's not a course that UC Davis offers. CWA took on all the liability. They have all the trainers. Uh, they provide all the equipment. And Paul Bonderson and Sandy Bonderson underwrite the whole process. So it really is a community effort, uh, and it's for UC Davis students. We do the same things as Kevin does. They all do their hunter safety. Um, it's a weekend camp for us. So they, they do all the online hunter safety training. Uh, they come prepared to write the exam, and then we do the hands-on. So Paul has a fantastic sporting clay course. Uh, they get shotgun um, safety as well as training. And for some of, the, some of our students, they've never handled a firearm. Even, even if we did not go out on a hunt, the, the empowering 
nature of just, you know, having a student know how to handle a firearm safely. All of a sudden it's like, this is not a weapon. This is a tool and I can handle this. And, and it's, I mean, that is just incredible seeing the, and some of these kids are, I mean, they're way better shots than I am first time out. Kevin, don't laugh. (laughs) (laughs) But I I can laugh though. Yeah, you can laugh. Yeah. And you know, that's not a very high bar, but, uh, and, and that's pretty phenomenal. And then we also do archery and, and, uh, and we also go out in the wetland. We do early morning bird ID and, and a big part of it is talking about wetland conservation and, and private, uh, you know, private stakeholders, all the resources that Paul and Sandy have put into that, you know, 3000 acre, you know, fabulous, fabulous wetlands and all the benefits the birds get. So they get the whole, they get the whole thing. The safety aspect is a big issue. CWA to their credit, California Waterfowl Association, George Oberstead, Bob McClandris, Jake Meserly. Um, they were really instrumental. We could not have done this in California without partnership of an NGO and without the sponsorship of somebody as a uh, visionary as Paul Bondison, who was uh, the DU president and, and Sandy. They've just been so supportive. So, so a little bit, little bit of a different model. Um, we only do duck hunting. Um, and it's in January, but in California, that could still be pretty warm and there's still mosquitoes. <laughs> Uh, Maddie, I want to ask you and, and Julie a question here about the whole the, the firearms aspect of it. Had you uh, so you said you didn't really come from a family that was um, active that active in the in the outdoors, and so I'm guessing this was your first experience handling a gun. Maddie, was that was that one of the more intimidating aspects of it? And what were your what were your thoughts and kind of reactions as you as you went through that? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, I, this was the first time I'd ever shot a gun. So I can distinctly remember sitting in Hunter's Ed, uh, the night that we worked on gun safety and having that gun put in my hand for the first time, uh, being intimidated for sure. But like Dr. Edie said, it is such a feeling of empowerment to learn how to safely and properly use a firearm uh, you break down that barrier of fear to a certain extent and you do, you do look at it differently, especially in the, the way that guns are viewed, um, in the United States right now, it's a whole different perspective once you get to experience that. And Julie, was that much the same way with you, um, uh, in terms of, was this, it was handling the gun, one of the at least as you were thinking about it, was that one of the more intimidating on certain aspects of it as you got into this? Oh, definitely. Um, I remember being so excited for the opportunity to go hunting and then kind of realizing, oh, I have to use a gun. Um, And unfortunately, (laughs) up until that time, I saw guns as weapons and not tools. Um, And so going through hunter safety uh, and all of that and using and practicing loading, um, safety, muzzle control, all of that really helped me realize that it's a tool and not a weapon. And just like Maddie said, I distinctly remember being in hunter safety. And as soon as they put the gun in my hands for the first time, my palms were just completely sweaty and I was just so nervous, but I remember feeling very at ease the more I handled it and being around true professionals and um, having that reassuring kind of atmosphere really helped me. I read in the article, one of the programs, maybe both of the programs used uh, a BB gun as sort of an introductory, introductory gun. Is that, is that true in both cases at LSU and UC Davis? So in our camp, um, they actually do shoot pellet guns. We have three stations on the, on the weekend. The first thing uh, they get out, um, 
and they shoot pellet guns. They do archery. And we also have a, we have a trap station. So, and the students rotate amongst the three. And the idea is just giving them experience with, with, uh, uh, you know, with, with different ways of hunting. I mean, we have an archery instructor as well who comes up and talks about, uh, you know, bow hunting and so forth. So they get exposed to all of them and they get to try all of them. The pellet guns is just, it's just a way of getting them a little bit more familiar with, you know, firing, firing something that actually isn't going to you know, provide much kickback and that they feel quite controlled. Waterfowl hunters know the importance of identification of waterfowl species because of regulations and uh, how they, they come into play there. And I know that was an important part of the process that you led your students through. So just talk a little bit about that and then the actual experience of, of getting in the in the field. Uh, the way our camp is structured, it, it's over a weekend. So the Friday night and the Saturday is really about the training, the hunter safety certification. They all have to pass the hunter safety test on the Saturday night before they can get their licenses and, and uh, go the next morning. Um, and so the Saturday, we, you know, we do pellet gun training, archery training, shotgun training. They spend the whole afternoon on Paul Bonnison's uh, fantastic uh, sporting clay course. So they really, you know, they really get a, a full day of activity. The Sunday morning is actually when we do the hunt, and that's that itself is pretty special. Um, one other thing we do on this Saturday is we spend time. We go out early before before sun up and and uh, do waterfowl ID and identifying the calls. Many of the students have done that in labs. Uh, I think it's a little bit more meaningful for them because they know they're going to need those skills the next morning for the hunt, and uh, so they're paying attention and they're also using the things that they've learned in the labs. So it, it's uh, and we're also walking around the marsh and talking about marsh management. We do a tour with the with Paul on his property, so they really get a sense of how much investment goes into managing a wetland. You don't just add water and walk away. And then the Sunday morning hunt is with a with a single guide, and that's that at that in itself is is just a goldmine for us. So each of our guides are actually quite senior folks in the waterfowl and wildlife profession from DU, CWA, Fish and Wildlife Service, Cal Fish and Wildlife. Uh, these are people that are volunteering a Sunday during, you know, pretty primo part of the hunt season to come out and guide these students. They get a one-on-one -on -one guided hunt at a, a fabulous duck club. I mean, you know, at a DU auction, this would be thousands of dollars. And uh, and there they are with with a you know with an experienced guide. There's the safety issue, obviously, but also somebody who's helping them pick up on the ID. You know, say, okay, shoot now, shoot now. Look at that bird coming in. Um, all of that. And, and I also tell them they've got a, they've got a, a, a captured interview for three hours in a blind with a senior person that they could be talking about professional development, career opportunities. And I also tell my students, no matter what, that person can't leave. They're in the blind with you and you are never, ever in your life going to get a three hour one on one interview with a senior waterfowl professional um, to talk about what's important to you. So, I mean, there, there are days, bluebird days when, you know, they don't see a lot of birds, the students don't get a lot of shots, but even that by itself is, is uh, just a huge benefit of the camp. So, so the whole, the whole gamut from bird ID, firing a shotgun, being in the marsh when it wakes up in the morning, picking out birds. Uh, we do ask every one of our students to be willing to make the choice to shoot. So it's not a bird watching, you know, enterprise. In the earlier years, we had some students go along and say, yeah, I decided not to shoot, but I really enjoyed the morning. And we want them to be willing to take that full measure of commitment, uh, to engage themselves in this, to really understand what it's about. So, and, and they all do. It's just phenomenal. And some come back with limits. I'm envious. And so, John, it's about more than just reducing that 
tr- public trust resource to private possession, as is described in the in your article. Uh, it's it's also about it's also about the culinary experience, the cleaning of the bird, recognizing yeah. what happens after you pull the trigger, retrieve the bird, and so did. The UC Davis or the the program you have in California incorporate some elements of that as well. Oh, absolutely. So after the hunt, same as uh, what Kevin does at LSU. So so we all come back. The students have their birds, and we go through cleaning. I mean, Mike, it's getting hard even just to be able to do dissections in a biology lab now. Um, you know, with good reason, you know, frogs or whatever else. I mean, it's and so now the students. You know, we've gone through all the anatomy in class. Most of these students have taken my bird class, if not my waterfowl class. And so now, now we're, we're dissecting birds and they're losing, you know, they're learning parts of the body. Um, the, they're prepping the birds. And then Holly Heiser, who's just a fabulous, uh, um, she's the education uh, director at CWA and her husband, Hank Shaw, who's written a number of books on, on, uh, wild game cooking. Um, so they come out and, and talk about, you know, how you can cook ducks. I mean, it's just phenomenal. These kids just get sort of a primo experience. And, uh, and we don't do a, we don't do a, um, a communal, um, feed like Kevin does. The students all take their ducks home and then they invite each other over. But that's where there's also a spinoff because then they feed their roommates and the roommates get into it or they, you know, they share the birds with their family and they go, wow, this is really good. We've had vegans, uh, come out on the, on the hunt, Mike, and they go, you know, I don't like to eat meat, but I will always eat wild duck. And so they like the idea of how, how it lived and, you know, how, you know, it's, it's, it's pesticide free, it's antibiotic free true free range, you know? Uh, so it really does sort of fit with the locavore sort of, uh, you know, idea as well. Um, so yeah, we go, we go sort of top to bottom, um, from identification to consumption. That's fantastic. What I'm, I'm just trying to figure out if, if I can go back in time and actually enroll in that program somehow, we'll have to, we'll have to figure, we'll have to figure that out, John. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, uh, you got to do the essay. Have you ever hunted before, Mike? Oh, <laughs> no, never have. Never have. Matter of fact, not very good. Does that qualify? Yeah. yeah. Um, Some people have tried that. Yeah, we, we find them out. Now, Kevin, uh, a bit of a contrast, uh, still the same message, the same uh, things that you're trying to accomplish. But as John kind of referenced, you do more of a kind of communal um, um, meal later in the year, I believe. And so tell us about the difference in, in, in kind of what happens after the hunt for your program. Well, a lot of the, the differences stem from the fact that the UC Davis program is very much a, a full weekend camp experience. Um, and so our students... Uh, are, are going out primarily just for the hunt, although they do see a little bit of marsh management at, at the sites where that's appropriate. Um, you know, there's not as much of a focus on bird ID in the fields because they've had that in a bunch of classes. Um, they've learned to age and sex waterfowl by wing um, from my class and their wildlife technique class. Uh, so our, our program is, is when we're in the field, we're focused primarily on the hunt itself. Um, we bring back uh, unclean birds back to LSU campus, um, and we store them usually until the next week. And then we have a focus on, on scientific dissection, um, especially to study what the birds are eating. Um, and, and then we sort of relate that back to habitat management um, and, and things of that nature. Um, I guess the other point I wanted to make, you know, what John does with the, with the mentorship at the UC Davis camp I think is incredible. Um, in the field, our students get sort of the other half of that. So John's students get professional development. Our students get this 18-year-old Cajun's view of marsh management. And, and, you know, in a lot of ways, like, that 
that lived experience of growing up in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana, hunting every day of your life, every day of the season, guiding for, for wealthy hunters and things like that. I mean, they see changes in the marsh that, that we don't see because they're out every day. And I think that insight can be really valuable. Um, they're also, uh, it makes for an interesting, an interesting contrast, we'll say, uh, when we bring our students out. So it's, it's a ton of fun, and those, and those guys do a great job. Um, but to back to after the hunt, right? So we do um, scientific dissections, and then because there's often a lot of unevenness in if our students were successful or not at their given clubs or simply asking a first-time shooter to hit a blue-winged teal uh, is sort of a tall order. And so we've taken the approach of, of sort of pooling the meat. Uh, if students have a limit, you know, they're, they're welcome to take home um, some of their birds. But we keep some of it back um, and then have a, a communal cookout um, at the end of the year uh, as part of the wildlife uh, techniques course. So they'll, do, they'll be venison backstrap and chill tacos and a bunch of stuff. It's a good tradition. Now at LSU, I w- I'm guessing that's in association with some college football tailgate, or is this? Am I wrong in that regard? <laughs> uh, I think Maddie and Julie can answer that. I, I think they typically do it on the last day of, on the last day of lab oh, instead okay. of having actual class. They go outside and, and have a cookout okay. celebration. Uh, that's that's probably wise. Otherwise, uh, every every other person there uh, around you would come raid the. Um, raid the table. You might not get, might not have enough, enough to share. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's probably going to be a good place for us to wrap up this episode. And we have a lot more information to cover. So Kevin, John, Julie, Maddie, thanks to each of you for joining us here. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks so much, Mike. We extend a very special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Dr. Kevin Ringelman, Dr. John Eady, Maddie McFarland, and Julie Wynn. We greatly appreciate them sharing their time with us, sharing their stories and experiences related to the University of Hunt program. We certainly hope you have enjoyed hearing those, and we hope you plan to stick around for the next episode. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great work he does on every aspect of this podcast. And to you, the listener, as always, we thank you for your time, your support of this podcast. And as always, we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. 
Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. 